We're sent in the same way that he was sent. We are sent into this world to serve this world and to serve one another. And and honestly, that is the way to glory. It's not that serving leads us to greatness. You're like doing it begrudgingly. Jesus says serving is greatness. It's not the way to it. It isn't. This is what it is. We get to serve the Lord. Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. All right. Well, here we are. Tonight is the last installment of the series that we've been going through um, of Missio Christi, which is just a fancy way, like, a, like we've said in the past, it's just a fancy way saying the mission of Christ. And the reason we chose that is we were deep in prayer. No, it just sounds cooler. It had nothing to do with spirituality. just sounds way cooler than the mission of Christ, which is like your mom's, um, like on a pillow that she crocheted. Okay? Tonight, we are, we have derailed. Okay. Turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Let's pray, and then we'll get into our study. Heavenly Father, we're, we're so grateful, God, for your grace and your mercy to us, Lord, and um, that you, you meet us here each week. And, and Lord, um, that your desire is that we might know you, and that, God, your desire, and, and you send forth your spirit to draw us to you. And, God, may we never... Um, come to church uh, un, un, just unamazed by that fact, Lord, that you desire to be with us and meet with us. And, and Lord, speak to us. And um, so, Lord, we do thank you, God, for your rich grace that you show to us. And Lord, we pray that you would um, speak to us tonight through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, would you illuminate your word to us. And God, to teach us again what it is to live on mission um, and Lord, to learn from your example, Lord, we want to not only be hearers of the word, we want to be doers of your word. So God, we pray that you'd empower us, fill us again with your Holy Spirit to carry out the mission that you've given to us, Lord. And, and so um, we ask, Lord, that you bless this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Like we were saying, Missio Christi, uh, tonight we're going to be looking at um, serve and sacrifice. Like we're saying, the mission of Christ uh, we've been looking at different instances where Jesus says that he was sent forth. And really the theme verse for it is found in John 20, 21. And it says that Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So we've been going through the scriptures with this kind of theme behind it. What does it mean to be sent by Jesus? What does it mean to live in a world that is fallen um, and we're still here to be a light in this world. In what ways have we seen um, this modeled for us in the person of Jesus Christ? Uh, so, so the first installment of the series, we looked at how Jesus came to seek and to save. We were in John chapter 4, looking at the woman at the well and how Jesus sought after her specifically. And now our, uh, the mission that we have is to seek to see men and women saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our mission as the church and the goal of the church, uh, we're not here simply to to create 
opportunity for fellowship, although that is part of what we do. Uh, the church is not, does not exist purely to um, make sure that you're nice people, if that's a word. Uh, like, hey, be nice. Uh, be kind. Uh, we want to fight justice and social issues. Those are part of what the church does, but a lot of it has to do with, or what the church has become in the modern day, has to do with the fact that there is a social reform that is in, 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 that's taking place. That people are calling for social reform. Like these things are broken, they need to be fixed. But the problem is not that the system can be reborn or renewed, it's that they're trying to recreate a system. And what, what Jesus has done in our, in our lives is he has brought a new way of living and regenerated us. So no matter how much the world preaches social reform, the Bible preaches that we need soul regeneration, recreation. So there is no reformation without regeneration. Does that make sense? There is no reformation of society. There is no changing of the, of the hearts of men because men, no matter how much they try and church up the outside, cannot change the heart. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is coming under the surrendering of him as Lord and Savior that that brings about lasting and enduring change within human beings. The second installment, Zach taught that one, was that Jesus came to redeem and to restore. We looked at Mark chapter 5 with the demoniac, the man who was, was um, possessed by thousands of demons. And we saw that in a moment Jesus came and redeemed him, meaning that he was released from bondage. I love that definition. To be redeemed is to be released from bondage and restored, that this man was returned back to his original condition or original settings, brought into his right mind. And now we as the church are, are sent by Jesus to see people redeemed, released from bondage, and brought back into their original condition where sin has broken, where sin has twisted, where death has, has taken up residence. We seek to see through the power of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit regeneration and rebirth that comes only from Jesus Christ. Restoration that comes from Jesus. And Jesus redeems all things. Zach and I talk about this all the time. This is one of the coolest things about being a Christian. He redeems all of it. So if you're like, man, I am passionate about surfing. Jesus redeems it for his gospel. You're not just a surfer. You're a Christian who gets to surf by the power of God. You're like, I love baking. You're not just a baker. You are a Christian child of God who bakes to the glory of God. Amen? <laughs> Those scones that you make and you're like, praise Jesus for scones and gluten. Right? That, that is a gift from God. But, but you see what I'm saying? No matter what we do, our identity is not found in what we do for work. Our identity is found in who we belong to. In Jesus Christ. Therefore, he redeems the activities of my life. That I drink coffee to the glory of God. Like I, I eat to the glory of God. I work out to the glory of God. Christ redeems. I marry someone to the glory of God. That God would be glorified in, well I got married. But like in, in our marriage, God would be glorified. We have babies to the glory of God. Like that's, that's part of God's glory and his gift. We rejoice in all things. Jesus redeems all things back to himself. Think about that for like five minutes and watch yourself. Try not to be happy while thinking about Jesus redeeming all things. What do you love? Somebody just say something out loud. 
Celery? Yes. Jesus redeems your love for celery. Someone's calling me. Hold on a second. Of course. My dad, every time. It's been like six years. We've talked about this. My dad calls me every Thursday night. He forgets that I'm teaching a Bible study. So, so the second, the second installment, right? Christ redeems and he restores all things because of the gospel. And tonight, Jesus shows us that the mission of God is also seen that he came to serve and to sacrifice. And I want to tell you a story before we get to our text. I once heard a story of a rice farmer who saved an entire village from destruction. From his hilltop farm, he felt the earthquake and saw the distant ocean swiftly withdraw from the shoreline. He knew that a tidal wave was coming. And in the valley below, he saw his neighbors working low fields that, that would soon be flooded. They must run quickly to his hilltop so they, would, so they wouldn't all die. His rice barns were dry as tinder. So, with a torch, he set fire to his barns, and soon the fire gong started ringing. His neighbors saw the smoke and rushed to help him. Then, from their safe perch, they saw the tidal wave wash over the fields they had just left. In a flash, they knew not only who had saved them, but what their salvation had cost their benefactor. They later erected a monument to his memory bearing the motto, he gave us all he had and gave gladly. And this poor farmer finished first in the eyes of his community, but it cost him everything he had. And tonight, Jesus will show us not only through his teaching, but in his actions, that the mission of God is seen through the motion of service and sacrifice. Let me say that again. That the mission of God is seen through the motion of service and sacrifice. So, verse 35 of chapter 10, it says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do something for us and whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? It will be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. And they said to him, we are able. So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And, will, and with the baptism that I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those of whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones ex exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. In this first little section here, we have a very selfish petition. A request is made. And James and John, who were part of Jesus' inner three, like the closest to him, come to him and they ask him, hey, we want you to do something for us and we want you to say yes to whatever we ask. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, if someone came to you and was like, hey, 
I want you to do something for me, and you can't say no, okay? Okay? What would you say? Like, yeah, I fully trust you. Absolutely. No, if my kids come to me and they're like, Dad, we want you to do something for us, and you can't say no to it. And they made me stand in the rain for 30 minutes one time, and I was like, it was the funny, we have a challenge for you, Dad. And I'm like, okay, what is it? They're like, you can't say no. And it was pouring rain one day, and I just remember this right now, because this is how sick human beings are. My own children, my own children. They're like, we have a challenge for you, and you can't say no. We want you to go stand <laughs> in the rain for like 30 minutes. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, that's ridiculous. And they're like, ha, 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 do it. So I went outside and stood in the rain as long as I possibly could. It's freezing. It's horrible. Um, it never rains in California. So I was like, what is this? Um, so confused. Anyway, but they asked Jesus to sit in the highest positions of his kingdom. That's the request. We want to sit in the highest possible positions in your kingdom. And what exactly is being asked here is this. They're asking for, number one, preeminence. We want preeminence. They wanted glory and honor, and they wanted, they wanted what is the word? They wanted the glory of it all without the cross of it all. They, they wanted the, the prestige without the cross. And, he, and Jesus is saying, that, that, there's no way that's going to happen. They wanted preeminence. They wanted the glory and the honor. They wanted, number two, they wanted proximity. They wanted to be absolutely the closest to Jesus in his kingdom. And the last thing, they wanted the power. They wanted positions of great authority. It's a pretty bold statement. Like there's 10 guys other than you, and you're like talking to your, your brother, and you're like, let's just go ask him. Like the least, he, I mean, the worst thing I have is say no and like cast us out and set us on fire from heaven. Like what's the worst that can happen? So they go and ask, and like, that's pretty bold. It, it, but what made them think that they could actually ask this of Jesus? There, have you ever been, like, people, this happens all the time. They're like, go ask them. Like, people ask, do you think Pastor John would? I'm like, yeah, go ask him. They're like, oh, no, 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 I don't, I'm not going to What do you think he's going to do? Like, cast you out? Or like, there's a demon in you, and, like, cast you out of the church? No, just go ask him. It's, like, not a big deal. He's a human being. But here's, here's the thing. Why do, why do people think, like, they could ask this of Jesus? Well, Salome was their mother was the mother of James and John. And she made the first request of this in Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 21. She came to Jesus and said, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, let my two sons sit at your right hand and your left hand. Like, that's pretty messed up your mom making that request, right? Comes a time in a man's life where a man's got to do what a man's got to do, right? Your mama can't do it for you anymore. It's like, thanks, mom. That's really embarrassing. But, like, you remember when your mom, when you didn't play, you're on the bench, and they're like, how come my son doesn't play? I'm going to go talk to the coach. And you're like, please, God, you will make this so much worse. Like, don't say anything to the coach. And she's like, coach, my son, he works hard. And you're like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm dying. I'm dying inside. I'm dead. <laughs> what happens? Right? Salome, she made this request to Jesus in the beginning. Like, earlier, she's like, hey, let this happen. What made her think that she could ask this? She was Mary's sister, the mother of Jesus. This is Jesus' aunt. She's like... <laughs> I knew you when you were, you're going to, mm, we're going to talk, right? She, she felt like she could ask Jesus this question. So James and John were actually the cousins, first cousins of Jesus. She's like, who else would you want? Your right hand, your left hand, but your cousins, right? Now, I'm not that close to my family, and I don't think I'd pick my cousins to be on my right hand or my left hand, or even the same car with me, right? But, but here, she's saying, these guys are fit to rule the kingdom with you because they're related to you. 
So maybe that's the first reason they thought they could ask this. Well, number two, they're claiming promises that have been made to them. Matthew chapter 19, they were promised um, thrones, position of power. But not right now. They're not considering the timeline in which God promised these things. Because these things would take place. They would be given a place of prominence. But not before their lives were tested. And they were put through the fire. That they would learn this lesson that Jesus is trying to teach them. That in order to be great in the kingdom of God, you must first learn to be the servant of all. Jesus was focused on his mission to bring God glory. And Jesus is going to teach us that the goal is not finishing first, but bringing God the most glory. That is the goal and the mission that we have been sent on in this world. is not to finish first in the world. It is to bring God the most possible glory in this life. And Jesus wasn't concerned about these things, about prominence for himself and making his name great. I mean, it was already spreading like wildfire, but it wasn't because he promoted himself. It wasn't because Jesus was like, hey, watch this. And he created all these crazy magic tricks. And he's like, follow me. And, and had like this whole system of getting people in line. Jesus was focused on his mission to bring God glory. And he wasn't concerned about these things because he wasn't driven by pride. Pride is what drives so much of selfish ambition. Now, it's good to have ambition. All of us should have some kind of ambition. Like, I want to be a doctor when I grow up. That's a good ambition. Like, some are like, I have no ambitions because I want to be like Jesus. That's not what the Bible is saying. It's not that you just, I loaf for a living. That's my ambition is to see how loafy I can be. That's not an ambition. But we also want to be careful that we are not driven in our lives by pride. Scripture warns us of the danger of pride. Proverbs 16, 18 through 19, it says, pride comes before the fall. Read verse 19 as well. It's extremely wise counsel. I was supposed to put it in my notes, but I forgot. So you look it up later. Proverbs 14, 3 also warns against pride. Another verse I was going to put in my notes, but I forgot. Proverbs 29, 23, again, you get the picture. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, like all of these, just, just Google pride in the scriptures and you'll get a whole laundry list of verses that warn us against pride. And you think, why is it such a big deal? Pride was first seen in a perfect world. Where we are today is directly, um, is directly, directly a consequence of pride in the garden. Like pride is what did it. Pride is what caused Satan to fall. Like pride's a big deal. It's, it's, the, it's the one that, that Satan uh, himself fell for. So I guess the question we all need to ask and then, um, and then see our reaction is, is if what if God is more glorified by me finishing dead last. When you ask yourself that question, how does that make you feel? What if God is most glorified by my humiliation and my ability to finish dead last? Now, there is nothing more in this world that I hate than losing. <laughs> I hate losing. I I'm working on it personally. Um, I'm an extremely competitive person. I hate losing. 
I don't think anyone genuinely likes it. Like, genuinely, like, I'm fine with losing. It's cool. Unless you're one of those people, and I don't want to talk to you or be friends with you. But if you're one of those people who's like, it's all about fun. And everyone, I just want everyone to play. You, we are not on the same team, ever. And we're not going to play. It's W's or nothing. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like, oh, we got second. That, it, mm, I don't even care. In fact, when I was in junior high, sorry. When I was in junior high, I went to my first wrestling tournament ever. Never been to one. It was in Bakersfield. It's one of the biggest ones in California. I, this is my first time ever wrestling competitively. Okay? Most of it was just in class, like in my wrestling class. And I show up. I'm wearing a purple singlet. That's right. Used, borrowed purple singlet, which is why I don't wrestle anymore. So, so, so you can imagine, okay? I'm wrestling at a certain weight that I'm not going to tell you. And... Um, it's, I don't know if you've ever wrestled. It's really hard. It's exhausting. And it was like match after match. Like I'm wrestling all day long. It, it was exhausting. And you have to keep warm. So you're like in a sweatsuit, like, uh, like moving around. And this is why I don't do this. This is horrible. It's a terrible, terrible thing. Um, if you wrestle, God bless you. But I get to the end of the day and I finished fourth in my weight class. Like I was pretty stoked. I even got a little medal. It said fourth. And I was driving home. And you're like, fourth. It has a little guy on it, like, Arr. and we're going home, and my dad, I'm like, Dad, look, fourth. And he's like, that's cute. Rolls down the window and throws it out the window. And he goes, fourth's not a place, son. One, two, three, fourth's not a place. Gold, silver, bronze, and throws it out the window. And I was like, you're absolutely right. You, mm, so wise. Thank you, Father, for teaching me to reach for the gold. You know, just like, like chucks it out the window and I'm like oh I spent that was an entire Saturday out the window just gone like I'm throwing up in the corner because I'm so exhausted and what I work for is gone fourth not a place <laughs> does this give you insight as to why I am the way that I am do you have any understanding like why I am so jacked up like these are the reasons why I hate losing. I absolutely hate it. I absolutely hate it. But why is that? Because I don't like the way that it makes me look. How does it make me look like? A loser. Right? Loser. So if I'm a winner, like, that's the deal, right? But what if God gets the most glory by you losing? Are you willing to let go of your pride so that God gets glory? Because that is what Jesus teaches us. Jesus teaches us that our life is to bring God the most glory. The most glory. And whether that's through you excelling and giving God all the glory through that, through God promoting you, and not you promoting yourself, but God elevating you and you giving God glory that way, or whether that is God making you small and smaller and you still giving God the glory. Whether or not he promotes or, or he demotes, it is God who does it. It is God who does it. To God be the glory. And I asked myself that question today, and I felt sick to my stomach, just so you know. Because I'm like, you would ask me to lose? Absolutely not. Like, God, you wouldn't do that. You want me to be a winner, don't you? <laughs> he does not. Okay, verse 38. 
Does God care if you win a wrestling tournament? No. It's not like he's like, oh, I knew it. Like my glory finally has reached. It's, anyway, so, so verse 38. I'm jacked. Okay. Verse 38. Here's the response of Jesus. He says, you do not know what you ask. Do you know what that translates to? The, the original language is this. You have no idea what you're talking about. That's the original language. My translation. You have no idea what you are talking about. And then he asked them a question. Are you able to drink the cup that I am, I'm about to drink? When he uses this, this idea of a cup, I always thought, like, what does this mean? Are you, are you able to drink the cup? I always thought the, the cup of wrath, like the wrath of God, um, uh, the Holy Grail. Like, what, what are you talking about? What is this cup? The cup means a life experience. He's like, are you, are you able to drink this life experience here? And then he says, are you willing to be baptized? Are you able to be baptized in the way that I'm about to be baptized? You're thinking, water baptism? Like, I don't think that's such a big deal. He's not talking about water. He's not talking about a cup. He's talking about a life experience. And he's talking about, are you able to be submersed or immersed in the wrath of God? Are you able to take that? I'm, he's saying, I'm about to be immersed in an experience that you cannot imagine. He was about to experience the full, undiluted wrath of Almighty God. And he says, can you take that? And the answer, obviously, is no. But their answer is, sure. Yeah, like, we can do that. His ultimate sacrifice to lose all that we may gain everything. And at the same time, Jesus would be exalted above all things. He is about to lose everything here. It costs Jesus everything, but it's worth it for what he's about to gain. It's us. The, his ultimate sacrifice of losing all for us is he will gain exaltation from the Father. Revelation, uh, here comes the revelation, verse 39. It says, uh, they said, we are able. So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism that I'm baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on the left, that is not mine to give, but it is for those to whom it is prepared. Here's the revelation that Jesus says to them. You will, you will drink the cup and you will be baptized with my baptism. Meaning that you will experience extreme persecution. These two men would experience um, martyrs' deaths. They would give their life for, for what they believed in. And Jesus said, you're, that's, that's what you're going to experience. But who is promoted? He says, that's not even up to me. Isn't that crazy? Like Jesus' full submission. There's another Bible study in front of another time. Jesus' full submission to the will of the Father. Jesus says, that's God's thing. He promotes who he promotes. I'm not involved in that. Like, I'm hands off. That's God's decision, and I submit to that. What? Okay. Maybe I shouldn't have brought that up. So, because I'm not going to be able to explain it, because I have no idea. And I just thought of it while reading it. My bad. Maybe I should have studied more. Verse 41. Wow, London Fog lattes have a lot of caffeine. I had three today. I was trying to make the perfect recipe, and so you're like, like man, I'm on my third, and man, I feel weird. I feel super weird. Super weird. Is it hot? It's me. Okay. Verse 41. And when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased. You better believe they're greatly displeased. 
because they didn't think of it first. That's not because they're like, oh, how prideful. It's because like, oh man, I should have thought of that first. Why didn't I think of asking? I should have, duh, uh. I was hoping that my good works would kind of like promote from the inside. Like Jesus would see it and be like, oh, that's the guy. <laughs> they're not mad because they, they're like, how prideful of my friend. But I didn't think of it first. This is the second time Jesus had to teach him this lesson. Mark chapter 9, if you flip over one page, they're arguing over who is the greatest. It's not just after like some great conversation or great miracles. This is after Jesus says, I'm about to die. I'm going to die a gruesome death. But take heart, like I'm going to rise from the dead. And they're like, that's cool. Who's going to be the greatest? It gives us an idea, an understanding of how prideful these guys were and how prideful we are. Let's not just be like, these guys are so... This is, this is like, we are these people. They just completely disregard the fact that Jesus just said, I'm about to die a gruesome death. He's been telling them this for months. And this was a conversation that they always had. They would always argue. Even at the Last Supper, they would be arguing about who would be the greatest. It's incredible. Even when Jesus said, pray here. I'm going to go to the garden. I'm going to pray to the Father. I need you to pray. The hour is coming. Guys, get ready. And they just said, it's all over. Like, we're not going to get, no one's going to be sitting on the throne. Jesus is dying. And they just sat there and cried. Guys, pride blinds us to the mission of God. Because it makes us think that it's all about us. It makes us think that no matter what conversation people are having, they're talking about me, aren't they? That's how self-involved I am. But Jesus calls them together. He doesn't just walk out of the room like, dude, you guys figure it out. He calls them all to himself, and he begins to teach them, as he's been so gracious to do. He shows them the way of the world first. It's a great teacher, right? So here's, here's an example. Let's look at this for a second. Verse um, uh, 42, but Jesus called them to himself and he said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. He, he says, you've seen it in the Gentile way. Like they rise to power by grabbing power and oppressing their competition. Like that's how the world does it. In, in 3 John chapter 9, or 3, 3 John only has one chapter. 3 John, verse 9, it says, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. This is not just a world problem. This is a church problem. Pride is not just outside these walls ready to get us. It's, it's in it because we're in it. And so we have to be careful and on guard. There's always a tendency, even in the church, to believe we have all authority, but all authority has been given to Jesus, and we follow his lead. And the way that he led was as a servant. He led as a servant. But now he shows in the way of his kingdom. Look what he says in um, verse 45. But even, for even. The word even reminds us who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. He is God in flesh. If anyone who ever walked on this earth should have been served, it should have been Jesus. 
He could have commanded legions of angels to do his every bidding. Instead, he walked many dusty miles serving those around him. He could have come to this world as a king and been born in a palace with servants and great wealth. Instead, he was born in the stable in abject poverty. He did not come to be served. He came to serve. And so as if we're sent by Jesus, we're sent in the same way that he was sent We are sent into this world to serve this world and to serve one another. And and honestly, that is the way to glory. It's not that serving leads us to greatness, so you're like doing it begrudgingly. Jesus says serving is greatness. It's not the way to it. It isn't. This is what it is. We get to serve the Lord. Now, that looks different in everyone's life. Serving the Lord is not just serving in the church, although that is one aspect of it. It is serving. Please serve others outside of these walls who do not know Jesus because the mission of God is seen in motion of serving those who do not know Jesus because it's completely counterculture. So if our God is willing to serve sinful humanity, we should be willing to serve as well. Some people think that that they are too good to serve others, and Jesus Christ never thought that. He got down into the mud with fallen man so that he could lift them out and change change his condition. May God give us that same heart to serve. Turn with me to John chapter 13, and this is where we'll close this evening. John chapter 13. John chapter 12 is a changing point in the gospel of John, meaning that chapters 1 through 12 cover three years of Jesus' ministry. Chapter 12 on is is covering just a matter of days and hours that's happening. So here in John chapter 13, he's in the upper room with his disciples. It's before the night before he'll be betrayed. It's it's before all of these events will take place. And this is what he says to his disciples. At supper, verse 2, and supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon the son to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand, but you will know after this. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet. But it's completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. No, it's likely that you are familiar with this story. But again, it's a good refresher for us to be reminded of what, what is taking place here. What we see is the passion of Jesus for service. The passion of the Lord was to serve. It, it was such that he was willing to take the place of a slave. Normally... Um, When you would enter into a house, the lowest of the low, like the slave of the slaves, would do the foot washing. It's not like everyone had 
hokas at back of this or whatever, your PF flyers, or whatever nice shoes that you comfortably wear, not even rainbows. They had just like straps of leather that they bound to their feet, and they walked these dusty, nasty trails. And so when they would come into a house, one of the first things they would do before a meal is they would wash up. And the lowest of the low, the slave of the slave, would be there to wipe feet. And it seems that there was no slave to do that in this house. And so they all sit down to eat. They would recline back on pillows. Uh, they would all lean in towards the table and reach across, right? So their heads would be in. And Jesus gets up from, from dinner. He goes over. He takes off his jacket or his robe. He girds himself with a slave's towel, and he begins to wash their feet. And as he, he's doing this, Jesus is teaching his disciples again. Okay, if you think it's the la these are the last moments of Jesus' life, like I want to hear what he has to say, I, I want to hone in. Jesus could have settled the, de the debate, like is it Calvinism or Arminianism? Like is it this or that? Like he could have laid the foundation, like what are some of these things that were so like, so, so gray that we don't understand. Jesus could have laid these out and kind of clarified what did he want his church and his disciples to know? The heart of God is to serve. The heart of God is to take the place of a servant. So he took the place of a slave and he washed the dirty feet of men who would run away before dawn. He washed the feet of Peter who would deny him three times before dawn. He even washed the feet of Judas Iscariot, who would betray him into the hands of his enemies that very night. Jesus freely served those and sacrificed himself who would break his heart. When the next day dawned, Jesus performed the greatest service of all when he went to Calvary to die on the cross for sinners who hated him and wanted nothing to do with him. The last thing that Jesus teaches us on this earth was to serve. Service was his passion. Service was his life. And may that same passion grip our hearts. May we freely take the place of slaves and serve others for the glory of God alone. It's a heavy passage. <clears throat> But, but it's, it's good for us. It's, it's good for us. This makes me super uncomfortable. But that's what service is supposed to do. It's supposed to make us uncomfortable. God cares less about your comfort and cares more about your holiness. That's what God cares about. He cares about your holiness. He cares about your righteousness. He cares about your love for him and for others. And so God has given us a gift, and that is the gift to serve. And this is not some compulsion thing where like, okay, now we're going to take a sign up, and we're going to fingerprint everyone so that you can start serving in kids' ministry. <laughs> Although we should do that. Um, but this is, again, is, is one of those passages and one of those, those things that, causes us to, um, I think, I think the, the word I'm looking for is clarity. You know, when you're, 
when they're teaching flying school and stuff like that, I've heard, I've never been. But when you're learning how to fly, that when you can't figure out where you are, one of the things to do, they tell you, is to get height, like to go up above the clouds, right? You got to get higher because if you're flying too low, man, you're probably going to hit something. So they tell you, if you're lost, you're thickening in a storm, like you need to get elevation, you need to get higher, you need to get, you need to get up there in the air so that you can see clearly. I believe that this is what this does. It helps us to get out of the muck and all of the confusion and all of the chaos of our life to get some height and, again, refocus on what we've been called to do. So, may God richly bless us as we serve him. Not just in the sense that I'm doing this to get God's blessing. God blesses because that's who he is. Pretty crazy. That's who he is. Therefore, that's what God does. Whether you deserve it or not, God blesses you. And we, in turn, get to bless God by serving him and by serving those he died for and paid the price for and loves. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this gracious call and to refocus our eyes and our minds back on you and, and what you have called us to do in this world. Lord, I ask for forgiveness for my grumbling, complaining heart. And God, we thank you that you're a God of restoration and you're a God who redeems all things. So Lord, where we have lost focus, Lord, would you redeem it back to yourself? Those years that we spent um, complaining, God, would you redeem it back? We thank you that your word tells us that, that nothing we do for you goes unseen. There's never a time where we, we serve you or do something out of the kindness of our heart or, or out of a place of just gratitude to the Lord that you don't take notice of and someday will reward us for. Lord, the reward on earth is, is getting to serve you. And Lord, you, you go so beyond that in your blessing. But Lord, to even think that you'll bless us in heaven and reward us in heaven is, is beyond. Lord, and we're so thankful that you're a God who, who blesses because that's who you are. Not because we deserve it, but because you're a blessing and good God. And so tonight, Lord, we, just, we ask for <clears throat> fresh vision from you for our life. a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we're not called to serve you out of our own strength, but Lord, we're, we're called to serve you in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so God, would you fill your people again? And Lord, we know that while there's breath in our lungs, while we're still on this earth, Lord, you have purpose for us. You have a, a person for us to reach. You have, you have someone for us to minister to. You have, you have someone out there that, that needs to, to hear the love of Jesus and the, and the gospel. And so, Lord, 
like Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Lord, here, here is this group. Lord, and we pray, Lord, that you send them with this mission, with this goal, Lord, with this heart, the heart of God. And so, um, Lord, we thank you and we praise you. And uh, 